On this episode of The Unconventional Podcast, I sat down with Leah Turner, a social media sensation that's built a six-figure business teaching people how to use LinkedIn for their personal brand. But it wasn't always that way for Leah. Join us on this episode as we talk about Leah's life, the real Leah Turner, and how in her 30s and recently diagnosed with ADHD, she now looks back with clarity. All of the things that happened in her life now make sense. I hope you get as much from this episode as I did. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah. Are you tired? Uh, I mean, always, but not particularly. No, I had an early night last night. I saw. I, yeah, I wasn't. I was, uh, you know, I wanted to be fresh for you, Andy. Oh, okay. What happened then? <laughs> no, no, I did. I... <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is starting I well. <laughs> I did end up starting at staying up quite late, just enjoying watching Netflix because I knew I didn't have to wake up this morning. And then my body clock did that thing where it's like, time to wake up at half yeah. past six. Because yeah. that's what I normally get up. I was like, no, no, I don't have to be awake yet. So, yeah, no, it's fine. I didn't want to go out last night because I'm out at an event again this evening. So I was oh, like, really? yeah, I feel shit. Yeah, I know. That's why I'm staying down in London. So I don't normally would I wouldn't normally do two nights away from my son. But tonight's a charity one for the for the charity I'm an ambassador for. Right. So um, it's kind of an important one. So I was yeah. like, all right, I'm sure my son can manage if it's for a good cause. And he loves I'm that. sure. He loves I'm the sure baby anyway, so it's it's not a big deal. Um, how are you anyway? I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'm uh, yeah. I'm I'm probably gonna take the rest of the day off actually, um, which sounds oh. ridiculous for that's someone cool. that's like only seven months into a business. But I'm sure you can relate. You get to the point where you've worked flat out for X amount of time, yeah, and you're just like. I'm I'm literally gonna die soon if I don't if I don't actually do something for myself. Yeah. Um, it's really important. I try and do that at least once a month. Although I don't usually manage a whole day, but I try to at least take like an afternoon a month mm. and do nothing. Mm. Like sit on the sofa and do absolutely nothing. Mm. If if that's what you want to do, or take the dog out for a really long walk or something where I'm not in front of a screen like working. Yeah. I think it's important. The reason I wanted you to come on was twofold, really. A, because amazingly, in the space of three and a half years since we've been acquainted through LinkedIn, we've never spoken. Um, no, spoken. outside of a DM, um, which isn't the same. And also, because of the nature of the podcast, I wanted to build up a story of Leah Turner, the real Leah Turner, and get to the point where we talk about the current level of success, but more importantly, your journey with ADHD. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of, that was the biggest reason because of the nature of the podcast. Um, so with that in mind, and some of the stuff that we've already spoken about, I'm going to edit in because there was some good stuff in there. Okay. Tell us about where it all began. So let's, let's strip it all back. Let's go back. Let's go to young Link. Leah. Nope. Oh, right. no, 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 no. Let's go. Young, young Leah. Tell us a little bit about the journey of young Leah, school, 
right through to where we are now I kind of want to build that picture and, and build that picture for the audience um okay so um my my mum and dad raised me and my sister in West Sussex um we had a little housing association house like two up two down um shared bedroom and all of that like me and my the family wasn't very wealthy my my dad was a window cleaner my mum like worked part-time in a post office um and uh I was a good kid like you wouldn't have and it's funny because I'm going through a diagnosis at the moment um and they had to ask my mum a load of questions and she struggled because both her daughters were very close in age so trying to remember who did what and and which was which was quite a struggle for her because like 30 plus years ago now um but I was a good kid I was good at school I was studious I was well behaved um nothing untoward nothing people would have expected anything to be wrong with me um and uh I was quiet I was all like I was a quiet kid um, I read a lot. I was obsessed with reading. I could read really early um, and I would read books a lot, like front to cover really quickly, um, which probably in hindsight is something that you're like, oh, maybe that kind of was a clue. But well behaved doesn't flag up anything, does it, with kids? Um, my dad got cancer when I was eight and passed away when I was 10. So it's... Uh, that kind of period I guess it was the focus was very much on him um, and and him being unwell and to and from the hospital in and out of remission you know there was a lot of things going on that took priority um uh I started secondary school and again I was still a good student I still aced all my classes um there was a lot of grief going on and I'd become quite like insular I think and I didn't really understand how to process it like kids are very adaptable so I'd adapted to the, like this new life um with a single parent although we'd kind of had that life for a while because he'd, he'd not been able to be an active sort of mm. parent at that point um and then when I got to about 13 or 14 and I was like great a grade student I, I smashed it in all of my classes I paid good attention um I was good at what I was doing I did find studying hard I found it boring I don't think it was hard I found it boring I didn't enjoy being talked at by teachers and I found that quite a difficult way to learn but I would take the books home and I would read the books and I would understand easier by actually doing things I'm much mm. more of a, a I learn by doing things rather than um someone talking at me so I used to find my classes really boring and then when I was about 14 I totally went off the rails um a combination of of grief and stuff that was sort of going on in my home life my mum was had remarried and and that wasn't going well um so a lot of things sort of just pushed me over the edge and I wasn't enjoying school um, got involved with a bad crowd of, of people outside of school, got into taking drugs and drinking and boys and smoking. And I just wasn't, I was off the rails. And a lot of it was not being able to process like the grief of what happened with my dad and what was going on with my stepfather and my mum and not feeling understood and not feeling like I ever fit in. Um, no one really understood anything around me. I felt like emotionally beyond a lot of my friends because 
I was going through things they couldn't in any way relate to. Mm. Um, I was self-injuring a lot as a way of processing emotion. Um, and it was anything from like cutting my arms and legs to like putting earrings in, like just piercing my own ears and like anything to try and make the emotional hurt that I was feeling something that I could process visually, which is, it's hard to relate to if you've not experienced it, but sometimes when you're like, you've got this emotional turmoil, you, it doesn't make any sense. But when you can see something and feel the pain physically, it's almost like you can then allow it to happen and process it better. Mm. Well, that's how it worked for me. Um, and then at 16, like uh, I just basically had a completely manic two years of drinking and drugs and being completely unmanageable as a teenager. Um, and I decided that I was going to leave school. I did pass all my GCSEs, which was a miracle because I barely was at school during my GCSEs. Um, I dropped out of a load of subjects and the teachers were fuming because they were just like, you're wasting all this potential. You're so smart, but you won't apply yourself and you won't you won't focus on things and, um, you know, you're getting into trouble. I never got into like trouble with the police and I never like got this... Um, I never got detention or got expelled because I had this real sense of responsibility for my mum not to allow that to happen. Um, probably too smart to get caught on some of the things that I was doing. Um, <laughs> but but there was there was this sort of um, I knew where the boundary was and I didn't cross it, but I would push right up to that boundary. Um, mm. So at sixteen, I dropped out of school and got a job. Um, and I was working, like, I tried going back for a few months, but I hated school and I just wouldn't focus on anything. Um, and I was really severely depressed at that point. I was on and off medication. Um, I tried therapy, but couldn't handle it. Um, so I just decided to change. So I was like, I'm, I'm going to be dead. If I don't, um, if I don't change something, I'm going to die. I, I can't, can't live like this. So I, um, left school, left the boyfriend I was with, got a job and got some sort of structure and routine into my life and some independence, moved out of my home and moved in with a with a boyfriend. Um, when I was like, I was about to turn 17, I think when I did that. Um, and the life sort of started getting on the straight and narrow a bit more. Um, and there was always there was always things that now in hindsight, I go, this makes sense. Like I was always really creative, but sit me in a lesson and have someone talking at me, I would zone out to the point where I used to fall asleep. I know it sounds so weird, but I didn't know this, this was an ADHD thing until I found someone talking about it in a blog, because it's not a particularly common one. Um, but when I was 14, I, my mum took me to hospital and I had all these scans on my brain because they thought I had epilepsy or some sort of seizure condition, because I would be sitting in my class and I would look like a, a toy whose batteries were running out and I'd start nodding my head and my eyes would droop and I would eventually just fall asleep. And if you were speaking to me when it was happening, like I would try and I would be slurring my words. It was like I was going into like a slow seizure. And it started again when I had a, an office job that was incredibly mundane. And it would and I would do these long typing jobs and I'd really, really struggle to focus and I would just start falling asleep. And my bosses used to think it was hilarious because I I looked like the Duracell bunny winding down, you know, when it's like everything's yeah. slow. And they banned me from driving for three months. But the doctors, when I was a teenager, couldn't find anything wrong with me. They put it down to depression, anxiety, and insomnia. 
right? Other ADHD traits that I, I didn't, no one associated that with it at the time. Um, and as it happened, they'd sort of put it down to low blood pressure. I've got naturally low blood pressure. And they were like, it's probably because you're not eating enough. You need to eat more before you um, drive to make sure you don't you don't fall asleep, regulate your blood sugar, all of this. And I was like, okay, don't think it's that, but whatever. Um, and now, now I know what it is. Now I know that it's it's actually the lack of dopamine. It's the lack of interest in what I'm doing that actually causes me to disengage to such an extent that I fall asleep. And it's, it, I can't, no one in a million years would have made that association as a teenager because I was smart and I was well behaved as a kid and I, I didn't do all the things that they associated with ADHD. But when I wasn't, um, when I wasn't interested in what I was doing, I, I couldn't focus and it still happens now if I'm doing a long drive so I have to be really careful and like I'll I'll always listen to podcasts so my brain is actually engaged yeah. in the podcast and I'm interested in what I'm listening to or have music and sing along because if I disengage I'm like I have to pull over and get up and go out for a walk and and eat something so yeah. I can wake myself back up but yeah it does still happen mm. um, so yeah my my kid years were um in hindsight you would you would guess but especially as a girl we're, we're so underdiagnosed as kids because it manifests in a different way always mm. so much so yeah yeah it's interesting the, in hindsight. it is interesting and, and there's a lot in there that's probably very personal to you and i don't know if it's difficult to share but i do appreciate the fact that you've shared it and i think a lot of people listening will relate um because and I do as well because I, I've kind of mentioned on a couple of these now that I'm exploring my own journey with ADHD as you are um I might not be quite as far ahead as you but every time I speak to people on these conversations it's like talking to myself um school very I didn't I didn't kind of go off the rails in that sense but what for you to experience what you experienced at such a young age and then I guess going into secondary school and having all the stress of changing the schools and all, everything that comes with secondary school, it almost didn't hit you at first. I guess that's probably what happened. And then all of a sudden it did. Um, and that was the contributing factor, I guess. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of a lot of the potential sort of symptoms of ADHD that I had, people just dismissed as 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 grief and trauma. Because um, my, my dad passed like, four months before I started secondary school so it was like quite a transitional period for me anyway and as a as a 10 year old girl like that's 10 I was nearly 11 um it's one of those periods of your life like you kind of need that that dad there and he was like he I was a daddy's girl so I was really really close to him um but then all the sort of stuff that happened afterwards because of what had happened people were just like oh it's grief it's grief that's causing it um you know she's depressed she's anxious and actually depression anxiety is so often symptoms of adhd or you know adhd is misdiagnosed and they put me on medication and i had all this insomnia as well and um yeah it's 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 a, i look back on it and i sort of wonder how different my life would have been if i'd known i had adhd younger because mm. all the things i sort of thought about myself it's like I'm weird why can't I cope with these things that other people can cope with why do I struggle with this a lot of like things that I just 
like I'm I'm an anxious person and people don't probably think I'm an anxious person because of like my perceived confidence online um and people sort of assume I must be quite extroverted I'm actually not at all I'm really awkward in person um I was at a speaking event yesterday and sort of there was a lot of kind of meet and greets and taking selfies and I'm painfully awkward with doing those things I'm like <laughs> I find it really really hard to put myself in those situations and speak to brand new people I do it and I've always pushed myself to do it but it doesn't mean I'm I'm and I do enjoy it but it's like there's that part of me going oh, this is really really scary and you have to do it you really need to do it it's good for you to do it but there's this ball of anxiety yeah. in my stomach um and I think that's you know part of kind of masking my whole life is that I'm not not allowing this anxiety to, to win um yeah I don't know where I'm rambling off to with all of this but yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's interesting to sort of think back over it all and, and wonder what could have been different but so much of what I experienced was just kind of oh it's plot it's it's grief and mm. and, and it, I'm sure it was amplified by grief but there was actually an underlying um condition as well that was probably the origin of most of it and could have been could have been helped yeah, yeah. I think people oh, sorry it's all right people often say that don't they oh, if I'd known then what I know now how would it have been different and stuff like that and I think what I say to them is I don't actually think it would have been any different. You, your experiences and, and what you've done in life are why you are where you are, why you've had the success you've had, why you come across in the way you do. Um, and I just think for all of the grief and everything you experience in those younger years and for, for anyone that's in a similar position, they are the things that have made you the, the character you are um, and given you the success that you've had and, you know, and I, what one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was because that anxiousness that you say you suffer, that social awkwardness that I totally relate to, regardless of what people see you as on social media. Because, yeah, if you don't know Leah, you get the assumption you, you have the assumption that she's an extrovert. She's super confident. But I know you struggle with video or you certainly used to. I don't know if you do so much I anymore. Do. I, do. I have to drink a glass of wine. Yeah. Before videos most of the time I'm trying really hard with it because I know it's an important part of the future of my business um and, and where I want to take things so I am really trying hard with it but it's not something that I find very easy now and and but if people don't know you that's a wrong assumption um and I think you've probably and we'll, we'll come on to this in a minute but you've you've probably faced in the last three years a lot of wrong assumptions about you based on what people see that snapshot of what people see online mm -hmm. um so you said obviously 17 got a job started feeling like you were getting back on track mm -hmm. um but then i guess looking back you were thinking now you're looking at going well actually those behaviors i was demonstrating make a lot of sense now what was work like because I, I can't imagine you working for anyone else it just doesn't compute with me but obviously for a long time you did yes yeah, so when I was 17 I was working in a bakery so it's like a little local cafe bakery um and I loved it because I was talking I was chattering to people all day I was super busy um 
there was all these, I remember there was all these codes on a till <clears throat> and every different item of food had a different code. And I I knew every single code. Now I'm someone with a terrible memory, right? And I'm not good with numbers, but I just used to, auto, I just knew all these codes off by heart. And anybody in the shop could be, what's the code for this? What's the code for this? And I'd know this three, three number code, which is mad for me in hindsight, like how the hell did I remember all of them? when I know that my memory is so bad, but I was so busy all the time and I was always like juggling because I was assistant manager and it was always, always busy and I loved it. I, I loved having that busyness and I was never bored. I was never sat still. Um, I was the same as a teenager. I used to like, I had my first job when I was 14 and I worked in pubs and I was always busy. I was always run off my feet and I loved all of that. Um, I worked in a post office, which wasn't that much fun but it was a, a family business um my grandparents had it so I did that for a little while um and then I worked for building surveyors so I was audio typing as a temp for some building surveyors and then I got an, a main a sort of full-time role with, with building surveyors where I was for eight or nine years wow. <clears throat> um I went to I moved to New Zealand for six months in the middle of it and then went back to working with them um and I enjoyed most of that because, again, I was surrounded by people. I was mostly busy. It was quite kind of like um, there were some things that like really took some brain work and really challenged me. Um, but then there was also a lot of stuff that was really mundane that I really struggled to focus on. Um, and I excuse the background noise, London life. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it. And eventually I became quite bored of it because it wasn't really challenging me. And I was like, is this really all, all I'm capable of? Um, but I just kind of assumed it was because everyone told me when I dropped out of school, you know, you'll never make anything of yourself because you didn't go to college. You didn't go to uni. You're not getting that higher education. So you won't ever get a, a better job than this. Mm. And I was like 25 grand a year. I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm 20, 25, 26. That's quite good. And it was it was enough to survive on. Um, then I, and I was living in Brighton, which isn't cheap. Um, it's a lot more expensive than it was then as well, but I discovered a love of travel after I traveled a little bit, but not, not extensively. And then after a, a very messy breakup with someone, um, I went off to Thailand for a month and sort of re rediscovered myself, found myself start and decided I wanted to start a side hustle. The only thing I was any good at was typing and like English and punctuation and stuff. So I so I started a side hustle transcribing. I put like a free ad on Gumtree and got a few inquiries. And three days later, I had my first client and drastically undercharged them, but got a foot in the door, yeah. got some experience. And, and six months into running that, I was working so many hours and was making what I was making in my job. So I was like. Or, or or enough I was making enough to survive on that I because I knew if I was self-employed I would pay less tax and I wouldn't have to commute to work so I'd be saving a lot of money um so I decided at that point I was like I'm going to take it full time uh so I did another few months with the business like 2012 was horrific I was working like 80 90 hour weeks so I was literally working two full-time jobs mm -hmm. concurrently it was insane um and driving an hour and back to, <laughs> to work at my, my main job. So it was a very exhausting year. Um, and yeah, then I left and I went traveling again for a month and, and then ran my business full time. And that's sort of what eventually then led me to LinkedIn, but not for eight, eight or nine years. And then, yeah, then I started using LinkedIn after my son was born and I mm. wanted, wanted more. Yeah. <sighs> what, what I find 
incredible about that story is bearing in mind where you are now. Yeah. You spent all of those years with that message ringing in your ear of you're not really going to be able to amount to anything because you didn't do it. You didn't concentrate in school. They they kind of dismiss the fact that the, the hard work, the fact that prior to anything, prior to it perhaps going slightly off the rails, you were a grade A student. It was clearly in you to do what you're now achieving. They sat me down uh, when I said I wanted to leave and it was my mum and the careers guidance person, I think my form teacher and the head teacher, and they said, if you if you leave now, you will never make anything of yourself, but you're so capable. You could be a lawyer, you could be a doctor, you could be anything that you want. You are so smart, you're so capable that you could do anything. If you leave now, you never will. And I was like, well, I can go back to university later, but it was always university, right? This wasn't a private school. This was just a run-of-the-mill normal school, a good school, but a, but normal school. Um, and they'd always drummed it into me and everyone that it was like, go to college, go to university, get a job working for somebody else until you retire. That's it. No one ever came up, no one ever even suggested the idea of having your own business. That it didn't even enter my head, the possibility that I could have my own business. And that idea still never entered my mind until I was 20, 24, 25, working for these building surveyors who'd started a side hustle themselves when they had mm. a main job and at 27 gone out on their own. Mm. And that was when I suddenly started going, well, if they did it, maybe I could do it. Mm. And if I want more money, I can't get a job that pays better. Like I've literally peaked here. I have no additional skills. I'm not going to travel into London to, to be a, um, an office manager. They won't hire me anyway because like, 10 years ago 15 years ago like they wouldn't have hired me in a central London job because I was covered in tattoos with bright pink hair at that point right so there's just I would have to alter who I was in order to get a job that I didn't really want um so yeah I I, I peaked and my only choice was to try doing something on my own but when I started my side hustle I had absolutely no intention of it being my main job it was just to earn a bit of extra money yeah but it went really well and it it led to me going, well, I kind of have to give this a shot because I've worked really hard on it. And I cried the day I left my job. I cried handing in my notice. I was like, I don't want to leave. I love this job. I really enjoy it. I do not want to leave, but I don't feel like I have a choice because mm. I can't keep doing both. And that one means I've got more freedom. Yeah. So, yeah, it was that that eventually got me out of it. But you're right. Like, the schools don't they don't give that as a suggestion but your own business your own way starting something yourself it just was never suggested to me it's mm. and let's talk about schools for a minute because your son dexter yeah um how old is he now he's seven just turned seven, seven. so he's similar age to my youngest and then we've got jake uh who's 10 who's autistic and he um He's doing well at school, but I, I'm not sure that mindset that you experienced all those years ago, and I'm not going to say how many because A, I don't know, and B, I want to keep the illusion that you're really young. But I'm not sure that mentality has changed all that much. I don't think it has. 
I don't think it has. And that's one of the reasons that I chose to put my son into private school. Wow. Um, okay. it was a, it was a big driving force for me because um, it sounds I, I don't mean it sounds snobby like I I had a good education right I it was it was me um, my teachers were good I got a good education I got my GCSEs I wouldn't put anything on the the um, school system I think they do their absolute best but for me I want my son to have more drive to create something himself and I know he'll get that drive from me and I want that nurtured and the school that he's at they really nurture individual talents um and what makes what makes him great at what he does there's less pressure there's 20 children in his class with two teachers and there's he's absolutely flying he's so good his maths is great his reading is great his confidence with everything is great and he gets lots of one-to-one time with the teachers you know their sports facilities are great and it's a it's expensive like I pay more than I used to pay in rent for him to go to school every month and that seems crazy when I could send him to school for free but I can't think of a better investment than his future and I want to invest in a way that I I didn't get that opportunity um and I'm not saying that the private schools are better but they have there's there's less children and the teachers are less stressed because there's less pressure um and I think it's a healthier environment if so for me like I would rather work hard to to be able to give him that opportunity and he can stay there till he's 18 and hopefully like leave with more um confidence of going out on his own because if he grows up anything like me he's never going to be good at being employed he's never going to want to be employed and I think he's very 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 like me um very determined very strong-minded um pretty sure he's got ADHD as well um so yeah (laughs) like give him the best opportunity from a young age that he can he can start a business and do something that he loves as soon as he's ready to rather than waiting until someone makes him realize that he could possibly do that i think you're right though i think and it isn't you know if if you've got the means to do that for your children why wouldn't you um we i did a podcast a couple of weeks ago with a lady who went to private boarding school years ago and she talked about exactly the same things smaller classes more support she's dyslexic but she actually really thrived in school because she had that additional level of support that you just don't get in mainstream. Yeah. My wife works in a mainstream. She's yeah. an LSA to um, an autistic child. And nine times out of 10, the school system is trying to fit that autistic child as a square peg in a round hole. Yeah which is what she's fighting every single day because, you know, their assumption is that because we've got an autistic son, she knows about autism. It's like, well, hang on. Autism's vast and we know about one child. Yeah. But she's she probably knows more than most of them. So, yeah. OK, fair enough. We'll give you that. But the reality is every day she's trying to be creative with this child's learning mm-hmm. and she's almost being met with, yeah, but he needs to do this or yeah, but he needs to fit that. And, yeah. it, and it is a constant battle for her and other people in doing what she does to try and get the best out of 
um, autis- autistic children, children with ADHD, children that are even undiagnosed as as you were for so many years yeah. and are misunderstood in a system not really designed to get the best designed so many decades ago that you know life has changed so so much and people have changed so much i if i'd have had the opportunity to learn on the job so if someone had said to me at 12 right let's give you practical experience let's teach you to do things practically there's nothing i liked more than picking up like paint brushes or a pen and exploring with words and um you know mixed media art creations i used to create these enormous great pieces of art and write poetry and explore my own feelings and my own grief and trauma through art and i i i loved that and it helped me to learn so i'm like imagine how i could have learned better if if people embraced that way of learning and imagine what i possibly could have been capable of if someone had said to me look you're not a book learner you're not a a being talked at learner you're a doing learner so let's let you do things i'm the kind of person that sees an ikea build as a challenge right and i won't follow the instructions i'm like we got this and i like the challenge got a few wonky wardrobes as a result but right i've enjoyed actually doing it and and every kid is like that everyone everyone learns differently and we can group them together but i just think how much better would the school system be if we actually said okay let's not group you by how good you are at maths let's group you by how well you how the different styles of how you learn are and then the practical learners do everything with blocks and the book learners have a book to learn from and the the visual learners have have it a different way and then I feel like the different abilities wouldn't matter as much because the learning styles would be the same. And I just, I wonder why it's just, it needs a massive overhaul and they have zero money to do it. And I guess that's the same with every industry at the moment. There's so many problems and no resources to fight those problems. So, I think you've hit the nail on the head. <laughs> it is money. Yeah. It, it is resource. Money, it? Teachers are, are hugely underpaid um support teachers are even more underpaid um and that they're supposed to do because they love it is massively underpaid yeah absolutely um and it's and it is getting worse because actually there's more and more children now needing support and we underestimate the impact covid had on children um i mean our youngest we we we're convinced that covid was a major contributor to why he hates school like every morning we struggle to get him through the gates three days a week he goes in reception because he goes in with with lins but then the two days that i take him where we say no mate come on you've got to go through the gates today because next year you're not going to have mummy working in the school you've got to get used to going in the gates gradually i have nothing but dramas every single morning so and and i think that's largely stemmed from he spent a year at home um he does he just doesn't i i'm convinced he's we talk about this a lot but i'm convinced that he is somewhere on on the spectrum um stands to reason and a lot of his behaviors mirror his brother um because that's his only benchmark of good and bad behavior a lot of the time yeah so but yeah i mean my next question was going to be but you've already answered it why don't the schools adapt the the, the style that you're talking about but i do think it's just a pure lack it's a lack of knowledge and that's not their fault because the teachers work really hard. Um, I think it's but, the people at the top as well. Yeah. Because the people at the top still um, are stuck in the old ways. 
And I think as they retire, and I might be way off with this because I really am not an expert in, in the situation, but I have a, my best friend's a primary school teacher. So we talk about, you know, Ofsted and things like that and how much horrific pressure it is and how old fashioned all of the, the sort of assessments are and, and ridiculously rigid. Um, you sort of think the people at the very top right now, they'll retire and the forward thinkers that have been they've been campaigning for change that have been frustrated by the way things work they will become the people in charge and that's when things will be able to start to change but it needs a big investment it needs a very big investment it would mean retraining all the teachers it would mean completely overhauling the whole learning system the exam system like exams were the fucking worst like the amount of pressure on kids at some of their most formative years and they have this crushing pressure on them that they're never going to make it unless they get these GCSEs. Well, I can't, I burned my GCSE certificates the day I received them on a fire at Reading Festival and not one person has ever asked my GCSE certificates. I didn't go to university, so I don't advise doing that if you are planning to go to university. <laughs> they're expensive to place. But I just did it in a, I'm going to do my own bloody thing and I don't care what the school says. And I, you know, it took me a while. <laughs> we got there in the end, and now it's the final fuck you to all the people that told me I couldn't. <laughs> well, let's talk about that. Let's come on to it because I I came across, I stumbled across you in 2019, about a month after I decided I've had this LinkedIn account for years, done done fuck all with it, and actually my company doesn't want to do anything with it, so I'll do my own thing. Yeah. And then I stumbled across this blonde bombshell that's come onto LinkedIn, tattooed head to toe, making me laugh. And I was like, wow, LinkedIn isn't ready for this person. <laughs> um, she's going to stir things up. <laughs> and um, you did. You did stir things up. Um, and it's been a long journey to, to get to where you are and to achieve what you've achieved. But there's been some hurdles that you've had to overcome along the way, especially in those early months when you kind of first decided to come on. Tell us a little bit about that experience. I mean, I had the same reaction as you. I think I was like, LinkedIn isn't ready for this. Like, like I'm not I'm not corporate. I'm not going to be welcome here. I'm not going to have anything anyone wants to like anything to say that anybody's going to be interested in hearing because I'm not one of them. Um, but I had no choice. And as is the ADHD way, I decided to do things my way because it was fun. I was like, if I'm going to do it, I have to make it fun. Otherwise, I just won't do it. I'll, I will never log on unless I'm having fun doing it. So I, I I started posting things that made me laugh, that I thought might make other people laugh, that were just silly and random and um, like little life stories about bits and bobs that were going on or funny observations. Um, and it just it just exploded, really. Like it was it was different. And it, it was, um, I guess it stood out. And it wasn't in a nasty way. I was never being nasty or or awful about people. Everything was done with a my tongue in my firmly in my cheek or a cheeky grin on my face. Um, and yeah, it just it it grew and it grew and it grew. And then unfortunately, when COVID hit, I was getting a lot of inbound clients, a lot 
for my typing business and that was my sole focus and I'd I'd um, outsourced a lot of work to other people that I'd met on LinkedIn and, and women that I was working with that also did transcription um, I would have hired men but it's a very female heavy industry um, and then when COVID hit I couldn't do that anymore so many people my clients couldn't see their clients and I panicked because I that was my income and I had a child to support and rent to pay and it's like what the hell am I going to do um, I had a little bit of work but not enough for the freelancers and, and I couldn't do the work because I had a four-year-old at home who needed a lot of attention and typing means headphones and long periods of concentration, which were already a struggle because I had ADHD. So I was doing like 10, 15 minute bursts of it. But then I was getting to the end of the day with a four-year-old at home and I'm as exhausted because I've been entertaining all day. And then I can't focus long enough to actually do the work. So I was really completely fucked. Mm. Um, And so many people had been saying to me, how are you getting all these clients on LinkedIn? How? And I was like, well, it's easy. Like you just do this and you do this and you do this. And I'd had a few conversations and people went, okay, I'll give it a try. And they tried it and they were like, oh my God, it actually works. And I went, there's something in this. People are asking me for help and I'm giving them help. And the things that I'm saying are working so why don't I try charging for it and at first I was like this is mental I've only been doing this six months like who the hell am I how dare I the audacity to dare to charge for this but I was doing it I was living proof that it worked and and people could see that and as soon as I started saying well look I'll I'll do an hour training with you for 99 pounds I'll have a look at your profile see what you're doing wrong tell you help you to improve and that was it I was fully booked and so I've been I was fully booked to the point where I was literally doing like three or four of them a day. And I was like, shit, this is like, I I can't do this. This is really, really like um, overwhelming. Because I didn't really sort of think about how uh, emotionally and physically draining a a one-to-one coaching session can be. Because I had no experience. I never had one. Never mind given one. Um, So I was like, right, I can't do this but I was in that sort of scarcity mindset like oh my god do these people want to pay me money and I'm poor and I need money so <laughs> like, let's just do all the coaching um and then I sort of increased the prices in line with the demand and, and scale back how many I was doing and it and it's just kept going that way um to the point where I went okay well I can't serve everyone so I'll create a digital course that's more uh accessibly priced uh, because I, I literally don't have time to help everybody um and uh digital resources so content prompts content pdf books so people can learn how to create and what to create and you know if they're struggling for ideas and it's all just kept going I've, and i've learned and adapted and everything i've learned how to do has been from what i've witnessed other people doing on linkedin and what i've asked people about and and clients that i've had that have then shown me how to do things because they want to see me do well so it's been Everything I've achieved has been because I've learned it mm. by being on LinkedIn. Mm. Like I'm a sponge for knowledge. And once someone's told me something once, if I'm interested in it, you never tell me again. And I will take that idea and I will run with it and I will create. Um, and I think the biggest key to my success is not being afraid of fucking up. And that's been the whole theme. I was happy with my life when I was poor as hard as that can be to believe but I was happy in my life I had my little boy I had a home I worked hard and it was difficult but I woke up every day happy 
Um, and I wouldn't be afraid to go back to it. I'd, I'd rather not, but I'm not afraid to go back to it, which means I have nothing to lose. Yeah. And so trying new things and giving it a go, if I screw up, it's like, okay, well, did that didn't work, we'll try something else. And I think that's, um, maybe that is something to do with ADHD. I just don't see things the same as everybody mm. else. I'm like, well, so what if I screw up? What am I supposed to do everything right all the time? It's just a different perspective on things. Um, the, so, the nothing to lose thing, I think kind of ties in quite nicely with what you've achieved to be quite honest is phenomenal. And I've got a confession. Um, I don't know how you're going to take this actually, but hopefully you take it in the way it's meant. I unfollowed you. Okay. For about a year. Right. Because, and I made all these fucking bullshit excuses up in my mind about I didn't I didn't like the content and it was and it was too attention seeking and all this other shit. But the reason was jealousy. Right. We'd started on LinkedIn at around about the same time. Yeah. And granted, for most of the last three years, three and a half years, I've been employed. So yeah. I was restricted to a point in terms of how crazy I could go. Um, and the amount of time I could spend on it because obviously I was working during the day. But I didn't see any of that. I just saw this person who I knew was so good. I couldn't, I couldn't process how good you were and you just went to another planet. And I was like, no, fuck Leah, I'm, I'm following her. And I unfollowed you for like a year. And yeah. I, and then I was, I looked at it afterwards and I was like, you, 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 that was a bad place you were in there. Like, I wasn't in a, in a good place to be doing stuff like that. And then you would pop up on my Instagram and, and then later on TikTok and stuff like that. And I'd be like, why do I not follow this person? Avoid me. <laughs> why do I not follow this person? Like, it's ridiculous. It's not, it's nothing. She's done what she's done through hard work. And again, it comes back to that judgment thing. Yeah. But People... you're not wrong. It's, you're not wrong about calling me an attention seeker. I think, you know, that's part that I have to be. But I think that, I am an attention seeker on LinkedIn. That's that's part of the business. That's the job. It's, it's marketing. It thrives on attention. Um, but that's the difference between me and my brand. Because me, I would never be posting about how much money I've earned or how much um, how much success I'm having and talking about all my strengths and everything. I wouldn't do. I would never do that as as me. But as a brand, I have to because that's the credibility. That's the the proof of what I'm successful at. And that's where the, the, the real division comes between me and my brand. And, you know, it's it's really hard because like, I try dating, right? I'm single again and I'm dating. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll meet someone and if the first thing they see of me is Googling me or my Instagram or my LinkedIn, they're like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, what an attention seeker. But that's not me. I'm, I'm personally like crushing anxiety every time I post something like that because I'm like oh that feels a bit cringe but I have to do that as part of the marketing strategy because it proves I know what I'm doing and that LinkedIn is a place where you can make money so I'm literally creating proof with it mm. but it's, but you're not wrong to, to say that is attention seeking and it could it could be annoying for people 100% and I understand that but that's something that I have to just kind of take on the chin because it works and it gets the results that I want so yes I understand not wanting to follow me for that 
<laughs> so I'm not going to argue against you. But my reasons, I, I had to look at my reasons and go, that's not about Leah. That's about you, yeah. me. Um, which is why I then followed you again. Um, because it, it didn't, it just, it didn't make sense. And like I said, I was probably in a, in a bad place. I was un, at the time I was unhappy in employment. Yeah. I couldn't see the way forward out of employment because I was in really well-paid employment. You know, we'd bought a nice house and we had bills and two kids and all the rest of it. And you, at that point uh, in my, at 40, 41, I was like, what's the way out of this? I'm kind of stuck in this circle of employment forever. So I knew I wasn't in a particularly good place. And then you kind of come out of it and start doing your own thing and, and your mindset changes. And then I'm like, why did I, why did I do that? And you, you recognize why you did it. It was, but it was me. It definitely wasn't about you. Um, and then that kind of ties in with, when you first came on and you were having success, you had, I guess you had two different sides of it. You had people like me that just quietly went, I'm in a bad place. I can't see this right now. Mm. But then you also had other people that were quite vocal. About not liking me. About not liking you, about not liking what you stood for, your general appearance, which, I mean, I just fucking loved it. I think I even messaged you a few times. I'm like, look, you're killing this in the early days because it it was just so refreshing, but not everyone saw it that way, did they? No, I think we had, there was a fair few people like you who, um, as my profile overtook theirs and as my perceived success overtook theirs, they went from being supporters to attackers um, to, you know, they went from thinking I was great and telling and supporting me and encouraging me to trying to diminish me as nothing more than a pair of tits and a smile. Um, and that, that was my entire marketing strategy was, was cleavage and tattoos. And, you know, there were people that were, that just didn't know me at all, that would just take one look at me and think, bimbo, she's only, she's only popular because of the photos she posts. Like, I, I think I've proved myself enough now that it's far more than tits and teeth. Um, it's, but yeah, it's not been it's not been nice to know. I don't like the fact that people see my success and that would feel bad, make them feel bad. Like I, that doesn't make me feel good. I I would much rather that they didn't feel like that. Um, but I also don't really get the mentality of that because I don't see people doing better than me and feel envious or jealous. I see um, opportunity and inspiration. But that's just like, that's always how I've been. I'm not an envious or jealous person. I never have been. Um, I just see other people doing it. And that's what motivated me. I saw other women. And when I first came on to LinkedIn, I don't think I'd ever really been around highly successful women, women in business. And I had conversations like the first time I um, trained Alice Stevenson. And I remember having a conversation with her and she's incredibly inspiring as, as a human being. She's achieved so much. And I had these conversations with her and I went, she's, I'm, I'm as smart as she is. And that's not saying to Alice, she's not smart. She is really smart, but it made me realize I was like, we're almost the same age. She's got three kids. She's done this thing and she's amazing. And she's just as smart as me. We're just, we're really similar. Why can't I do that? And that was my first sort of, 
like inkling of these are women just like me who are doing much bigger things than I ever thought I could do. But if they can, why can't I? And so I then was more and more of these women started hiring me and I was becoming more and more inspired by these women that that had very similar experiences and intelligence levels and, and education as me. And I was like, they can, I can. And then I became that woman for other people. And I was like, this is mad. Like they were it for me. They pulled me up. And now people are looking at me and going, you're my inspiration. You, I f know that I can do it because I can see you doing it. And I stepped into that role as uncomfortable as it was. Mm. I stepped into it because I knew that that's what I wish I'd had in my 20s. I wish I'd known earlier that I was capable of so much more. And if I can be that person, even if it makes me uncomfortable, if I can be that person to one, one other person to encourage them to go for more than they, they thought they could achieve, to try harder to reach higher then i'm 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 happy to do that mm. even though it makes me feel like that people come up to me like they came up to me yesterday and were like oh, i just really really love all your content it's so inspiring you make me realize that i can do this i'm like oh my god this is so weird and feels really uncomfortable but you know it's it, it is nice and it does it does make me feel good that i can be that for someone and i think that's important but it doesn't feel good knowing that it potentially can affect people in a negative way as well um but that's I it. don't it's it's not you I I think and I, you know I'm sure there are people that have followed me at some point and now don't um because you always get people dropping off if your content changes you know when we shifted from I've shifted three times in terms of what I talk about on LinkedIn over the last three years because yeah. for a long time I was employed then we started selling the the, the clothes and a lot of it was about that. You actually said you wouldn't buy one because it was spelt wrong and you just couldn't get I'm it out of your head. Reader. So I'm a proof yeah. by, by trade. Like that's my origins. And I was like, I just I <laughs> couldn't wear something with the wrong spelling. It would do my head in, especially like the whole ADHD, like numbers, things being spelled wrong. I'm like, Ugh. but I love what you're doing. I do love what you're doing. And if you ever do one that's spelt right, I'll wear it. But then it wouldn't be the brand, would it? <laughs> um. Leah, this has been a long overdue conversation. Yeah, um, honesty as well. Ah, uh, thank you thanks. for the honesty as well. That's um, not had someone tell me that during the podcast before, <laughs> so that was um, good. I I had every intention of of telling you that because I think it's important that people understand that it is okay to admit things like that, not only to the person but also to an audience because. We all go through periods and I think, you know, you've said you don't like the thought of it, of you making people feel like that. You didn't make me feel like that. I I just felt like that because I wasn't in a good place because I was working somewhere where I didn't want to be. Yeah. Um, and seeing success from someone that I, I think a lot of it came down to I had so much admiration for you as a person, which is why I'd always kind of stayed in touch in those in that first year. You know, I'd watched you grow. I'd watched people get on the, you know, really misjudge you based on their naive view of the world in terms of how people should be when they come onto LinkedIn. And I'd really resonated with how you were trying to defend that. And I was like, oh, these people, what, the, you know, what the fuck? You know, this platform needs to evolve. And I'd, I had so much. And then when I just, I just switched to 
this isn't working for me at the moment but it was it was all me it wasn't you mm-hmm. um and i think it's important people are, are honest about stuff like that and and hear people being able to be honest there's a few people from the early days of when i was on linkedin that could probably do with listening to that and realizing for themselves why they actually dislike me so much because it's been it's been unfortunate that a few people have have sort of jumped on the anti-Lea bandwagon when it's like if you get if you get right down to brass tacks I'm just a single mum trying to do my best to keep my son alive and and give him a good life and if if anybody's out there trying to sabotage that they need to really have a have a chat with themselves don't they because even if you don't like it trying to sabotage someone trying to do the best for their family there's nothing anyone could do to me ever that would make me do that to them. No. I would never try to deliberately sabotage somebody who's never wronged me, ever. Um, even people who have wronged me, I've, I haven't done that to. So it just makes you sort of think, you know, that's that's a you problem very much so. And as a lot of people, you obviously recognised that your, your, your problem at that point with me was about you, not mm. me. There's a lot of people that haven't worked that out yet and they still put it all on other people being the problem when it's actually them yeah self-awareness is is a very big superpower it is leah you're a busy woman and i'm gonna um that's i think that's a great way to end thank you so much for coming on giving up your time it's been an absolute Um, thank you and um yeah maybe there'll be a a part two at some point in the in the future when we've got more to talk about <laughs> Always got plenty to talk about. Oh, and good luck today with your next event. Are you Thank speaking? You. No, no, I'm just attending. Oh, cool. but, um, I'm very much looking forward to it. I get to finally meet the people who run the charity that I've been supporting. So, very Sounds exciting. Good. All right. Cool. I'll speak to Thank you, soon you Leah. Bye. Take care.